Sports stories from the 419 in Northwest Ohio brought to you by A Voice You Know. It's time to go around the area and around the Hearn. Namaste and welcome to another edition of Around the Hearn. This week, big things, big guests. You hear a pair of guests and Joe Abraham, the uh, head softball coach at the University of Toledo, talk about his squad, how they had their season cut short, about how recruiting is in college softball. And I'll be honest with you, I learned quite a few things that I did not know. Also, my friend John Fanta will talk about everything that he has going on. The brightest star in broadcasting at 25 years old does uh, so much, but he'll talk about the Cleveland Indians. We uh, wax poetic about baseball and college basketball. He talks about his podcast, but he's had some tremendous guests as of lately being stuck in Cleveland, not being able to uh, be in New Jersey and maybe get things that he would normally be doing. But uh, I love talking to him. I hope that you enjoy it as well. Middle of July, not a ton going on as far as the world of sports. Everything else making news as it has been is coronavirus-related. The governor has uh, put levels on in different counties. Allen County now a level three, which means you've got to wear masks. A lot of folks upset about that, but just be a good person. Just do it. It's, It's 20 minutes out of your day. That's my two cents. Uh, the only real sports news is that Limeland canceled their 2020 season earlier on today. Uh, the OHSAA, with everything that they have going on right now, you go back and listen to last week's episode about Jerry Snodgrass. Talk to Jerry, seemingly a good spirits. Can't really go into it, but uh, still, my full support. I love that guy. He's everything that's right about high school sports. The interim director, Bob Goldring, said that it's up to each individual school district on whether they'll have athletics in the fall. As of right now, volleyball has been confirmed as a no-contact sport. Football, cross-country, and soccer all still up in the air about how that's going to go, but that's about enough of the coronavirus talk. Uh, A lot of baseball the last couple of weeks have been fortunate enough to call a handful of games. Actually, have one tomorrow. Friday the 17th, if you're listening to this, 5.30 p.m. on WZOQ Radio online. You can hear St. Mary's and Coldwater. But I got to see last night a young man named Landon Price, and I've talked about him, and I believe he's actually been on the show before, that uh, is just doing disgusting things with his 89-mile-an-hour fastball. It's up to 89, class of 22, committed to Ohio State University. Last night I saw him in Delphus against the Blue Jays. He threw 49 pitches on a 50-count limit and struck out 10 batters of the 11 he faced. Walked one, ended up moving over on an error, but a uh, 10-to-1 win for Lincoln View as they wrap up their season and after their camp as well. Credit to Eric Fishball for everything that he's done and Jerry Jacks, the coach at St. John's. Uh, big thanks to both of them for helping me call some baseball. If you've got a game you want to hear, you can tweet me at Michael Hearn PVP. I love being able to call baseball and uh, try to find as many games as possible to fill up before the world goes back to wherever it's going. So that a look at things going on. When we come back, it'll be the head coach of the University of Toledo 
Joe Abraham, and then you'll hear from John Fanta here all around the Hearn. Danny the Dealmaker, have you ever noticed how Lee Kinsel Chevy Buick GMC is a little like a sports team? How so? Well, you got your Lee Kinsel team starters like all of our salespeople. Yeah? And then you got your talent on the bench ready to back up every one of those starters to ensure that the team wins like our incredible service people. You know, you're right. A customer could come in, select their favorite, and be on their way in no time. Sort of a pick and roll. Now you got it. See us at 650 West Urban Road, online at LeeKinsel.com, and on the phone at 866-LEE-KINSEL. Every once in a while when I do this show, it's pointed out to me about different people and different conversations that I can have. This one with the head coach of the Toledo softball team in Joe Abraham. Uh, people who pointed you out to me, Joe, spoke very highly of you and said he would be a terrific interview. So no pressure. They, they must know my mom. <laughs> Is she a good interview? She, oh my, she's 88. And during this pandemic or whatever we want to call it, I've been, I have a place in Columbus where she lives and, and uh, I guess I should call it her place, but, but um, we have a condo in the Columbus area. So for the most part, since March, I've been down here and um, she, uh, oh my gosh, she would be a good interview, but man, it, I, I would be cringing at times. She's 88 and doesn't hold back. <laughs> my, uh, my grandma just turned 80. And I've been toying with interviewing her and not so much interviewing her for people, but just sort of as a keepsake for me when she's unfortunately not around anymore. And I figure that I would probably get a lot of the same stuff. Yeah, that uh, even though I mean, even though people of mine and your generation might cringe a little, it's in my mind that that's how it should be. You should be able to speak your mind. And that's what my mom does. It sounds like that's what your grandma does. Yeah. Uh, she eventually just says, you know, you asked me a question. Um, I guess that's kind of on you for not expecting what the answer was. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We're, we're all taught now to be so measured and, you know, with our responses. And and I guess that's what we have to do. I'm, I'm not a fan of it, but... Uh, yeah, I suppose as you get into any type of position in life, you, you have pretty much no choice. So, Well, I would imagine that's a little bit different, too, for you with being a softball coach and being at a D1 program and recruiting. You obviously have a lot of rules or uh, guidelines on things you can and can't say or put in print or what have you, but now you add that on top of it, and it's got to be – completely different than when you started recruiting kids. Yeah. I, let's, I'm going into my 13th year as a college coach. And, and you know what? The, the rules, they're different for each division because I was in Division three, then two, then one. But they've changed some, but they're, they're not that different. The, the gist of them is the same. And uh, first they got a little looser. And now, especially in Division One, just over the last couple of years, they've gotten a little more strict. Um, but uh, yeah, there the Division One NCAA bylaws. I think is about a four hundred page book, and <laughs> and you know, even of that, you know, maybe a hundred and fifty pages are relevant to recruiting. But and we have to take a yearly test, which I just took a week or two ago, and pass that just to be able to recruit. But but uh, there's so many rules. That, that nobody really knows them all. And then even if you do, even if you're familiar with all of them, the, the interpretation of, of some of them is just so difficult that you have to, 
go through some channels just to get an interpretation. In my mind, there are way too many rules. And, you know, if I were just the NCAA dictator, that, that rule book would be severely slashed. Well, it's unfortunate, though, that you can't really just use a version of right and wrong of if you have to question this because there are programs or people that a lot of investigations are showing this. They don't really care what that rule is. They think, how can I get around that? That's right. Um, But writing more rules does not solve that problem because they're still going to do that. So for the most part, it seems to me, and probably not just in softball, but all the sports, the rules are written to try to restrict the, the biggest cheaters but you can't write enough rules to restrict them. It's the same thing with laws. You can pass a law that, that, uh, that, that you know, murder is illegal, but you're still going to have murders. It's just a matter of how you're going to punish it. Um, but, but some of the rules that we have, personally, I don't, I don't think should be rules. I, I disagree with them. Um, a lot of the restrictions that we have, for example, NAIA, they have, I, practically no recruiting restrictions or rules. I'm sure they might have a few, but I don't know what they are. But um, And I one point I make all the time to other NCAA college coaches is, uh, do, do you ever hear about from potential recruits and their families about NAIA schools just a, a, you know constantly badgering kids and hassling them and making their lives a nightmare? And no, we never do. You, you never hear that story. And they have practically no rules. Because all the rules we have are designed to keep us, to, to keep, to protect, so to speak, the, the the high school athletes and even junior high, and to protect us from ourselves. And I'm just never, just ideologically, I'm not a big fan of governments or bureaucracies passing rules to protect us from ourselves. Well, and it's funny because we were talking about phones and how the world has changed, how phones have changed, and uh, before we went on, and one of the big rules I would think would be how you can talk to a player in terms of text or Twitter or uh, in a lot of uh, cases I've seen Instagram and stuff like that. That's obviously one that's kind of completely had to change with to keep up with technology as you've gone along. Yeah, it sure has. Um, we now... Uh, on Twitter, for example, or Facebook, but all the girls are on Twitter, and I guess they're on Instagram, but I don't do that. But just on Twitter, for example, um, saw high school athletes, they'll maybe put a clip of a highlight or maybe them working out or whatever, or just their results from a weekend. They'll put that on, they'll put that on Twitter and then tag several college coaches where they might be interested in attending. And we are permitted to like that tweet, but we're not permitted permitted to respond to it, which is just laughable in my mind. And then it leaves us in a spot where, oh my gosh, I might be interested in this girl. I guess I better like this tweet or she's just not, she's like, I'm not interested. It's insane. Uh, the Kent State head coach, he and I were just talking about that yesterday. As a matter of fact, we're going through Twitter and you know, then sometimes you don't even see the thing. You know, if you're getting tagged enough, there's just so many of them. But yeah, it's left us in an odd spot. And then when I started coaching high school and all that, you know, back nearly 20 years ago, it, it was considered, uh, you know, really odd, you know, just a kind of a creepy type thing to text any particular girl. And, you know, that's kind of, I mean, of course, we're, we're not allowed to, but we're not going to be texting seventh, eighth graders. 
but the, the girls who we are permitted to text, once they've hit September 1 of their junior year, you know, it's not really considered any big deal at all for us to be texting them, you know, about recruiting stuff. So, um, so the, the times and mores and norms and all that have changed and the rules have too, but man, it, it's complicated there. I mean, I, I practiced law for 12 years and I still can't figure out some of the rules. <laughs> well, and that's, it's funny that you bring that up about, uh, the, the texting or the being creepy thing, because there's a lot of, I guess, talk out there about the differences between, you know, you say something to a male recruit, nobody thinks anything of it. You say the same words, black and white, point blank, to a female recruit, and it's crazy, and everyone loses their mind. But it's weird that as far as we've come, we're sort of still, and I get a lot of the protection and everything like that, but we're still sort of out there on things like that. Yeah, which doesn't make, I mean, I've never coached, uh, boys, you know, I've, I've never done that, so I'm not you know, even familiar with that. But I know what you mean, and you're right because that uh, obviously, as we've seen uh, over the past 20 years or so, uh, boys can be abused just as much as girls, and you know we, we've seen that in different aspects of society. So yeah, that uh, yeah, just that it's not a stereotype, just that that type of thinking you know, doesn't make any sense. I mean, it, it uh, and the facts have, have bared that out. So. Um, and not that we should let up on, you know, how we're treating or what we're thinking of with that type of stuff with girls. It should maybe be a little bit more strict with boys and, and watched a little closely. But again, I have, I have no contact with any uh, male athletes. I have really no clue what's going on there. I just constantly hear male coaches uh, a lot with high schools and then some with some college coaches that I know say to their female coaching counterpart, uh, of a man coaching the woman, you know, you cannot come coach these girls, but I could easily go coach your team. And it's because of a lot of things I would imagine that you talked about, about the, you have to be subtle and sort of finesse differences. Yeah, that's definitely true. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a, you know, a tough road. It, I, I completely get what they're saying. And, and, you know, again, just I, it's hard for me because I've only coached females, and that's really all I know. And, and you know, we're, we're careful. Anybody, you know, who's worth their salt is careful all the time on what you're texting or saying, and you know, as you should be when you're dealing not just with our college-age girls, but with recruits, certainly. And, uh, um, I mean, you start to get into that. And even with our team, for example, you, I'm never, or pretty much any coach who's thinking at all, it is never going to be alone with one of our players. Um, you know, it's even in our office with the door closed, there's no chance. You know, I might have a player in our office, just she and I, but with the door wide open and everybody else able to see in. Um, you never driving them somewhere alone. You just can't take that risk. And, and, and you don't want to put even the girl in that situation anyway. So it's just an automatic no at this point with that stuff. I reading your bio became fascinated with one set of things. You're from Columbus. You go to OSU, you get a bachelor's degree in journal, print journalism and science. At what point then did you say, you know, what would be great is to couple this with a law degree. And then while you're practicing law, you found a softball team. I mean, was that, that a normal transition? 
um, I don't, I don't think it was normal. It, it wasn't really any one time because I was, uh, I was a news, I was a city government reporter down in Chillicothe. Did that for about a year, and then the sports editor, he left to take a job at the Ann Arbor News, who I still keep in touch with. But uh, and then it was so obvious to the managing editor and the city editor how much I liked sports, which I always had, um, that they offered me the promotion to sports editor, which I happily took, and even though I, you know, was a political science major and into all that being a sports editor was far more attractive to me than covering city council meetings. Um, so I did that, you know, for a couple, three years, whatever it was. And, uh, it, it hit me. I, I enjoyed that, but it hit me that, man, if I'm going to move up in this profession, I'm going to have to move all over the country because when jobs opened, you know, just say one opened at the Columbus dispatch, I mean, you had, I don't know how many people, a hundred, 200 people applying, you know, so your odds of getting any one job were low. And I'm thinking, man, am I really going to move to all over the country constantly? And uh, and then, of course, the pay in journalism, even back then, was horrible, and it probably still is, I'm sure. Broadcasting isn't great, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I can imagine. Well, a lot of those journalists, we were a Gannett paper at the time, and we were winning all kinds of awards. I mean, it was a serious daily paper, even though it was a small-town paper. But And so the journalists in there were really good, most of them now or out of journalism because everybody is <laughs> you know i mean the, the attrition has been such that it's just almost impossible to keep a job that friend of mine who went to the ann arbor news they closed down what five years or so ago um so you know it, it uh it's it probably a good thing i got out of that profession my dad and my brother are both lawyers so that was just kind of a natural thing well let's go to law school and i enjoyed <laughs> law school i enjoyed just on a the, tuesday morning just woke up i'm just gonna go to law school now yeah, that's what I did. And I enjoyed the study of it and the practice of it. I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it. And so I did that for a while and kind of fell into softball coaching on a lark. Um, you know, I played baseball and softball my whole life. So it wasn't, it wasn't unnatural, but uh, uh, I was helping coach a basketball team. And coach of the other team came up to us at the end of the game. Hey, either one of you ever do any baseball, softball? We need a coach in Worthington for a 14 and under summer team. And I was waiting on my bar results that summer. So I said, yeah, that sounds good. I'll coach. And I did that six or seven, did it the next summer. And one thing led to another. And, you know, here I am now. It's funny how life takes that path sometimes where, uh, cause I, like I said, I mean, print journalism, poli sci, you go to law school, like those things are not related. And then all of a sudden, Oh, well, I end up completely different, kind of back with back in sports over here in the softball category. Yeah, I mean, I would have never guessed that that I would make my living you know, coaching, <laughs> coaching any sport. But it, it uh, back when I coached travel ball and high school ball, and my dad was still alive in the office, it'd be him and my brother and I, and a couple other lawyers. Sometimes I'd be leaving at two thirty to go coach the high school team which my dad didn't understand at all. And he would also, I'll give the clean version of it here. He'd say, when are they ever going to pay you to, to do that? Which, <laughs> you know, you made a little bit in high school, but not much. And then uh, you know, I became a college coach about five or six years after he passed away. So every once in a while, you know, I look up and say, hey, hey, dad, they're, they're actually paying me to do this. 
And I'm sure he just laughs and shakes his fist. I get that. Yeah, he would. He would be completely <laughs> flummoxed by the fact that I'm making good living coaching softball. He, he wouldn't be able to understand that at all. I want to ask you about Capital, where you went. The uh, big thing right now is I guess they're going to get rid of the Crusaders as far as the mascot yeah, and the nickname. Kind of, do you see that coming, or did you just figure when everybody started going after names, they might be in that bucket? Yeah, I had a few friends about three or four years ago email me something that you know whoever was whoever it was was trying to push Capital to get rid of the nickname, yeah, and then it went away. And then you know, just in recent times, you know, you can figure something like that might be coming, um, and. and yeah, I went there to law. I went there for law school and grew up in Columbus. You know, so I was always more of an Ohio State football basketball fan, and, and you know, never really a Capital fan, even though I went to law school there. But so I don't have a strong opinion on the nickname. But it, it uh, you know, where I come down on that is, well, I'm trying to you know, Crusaders. Let me think. Why is that offensive? <laughs> you know, that was my first I, thought. Yeah, I, I it's uh, yeah. I mean, I. I used to know the reason why it's maybe offensive, but off the top of my head, I couldn't even tell you. And and, and during my years at Capitol, during all my years of growing up in, in Columbus, it never once occurred to me, oh, that might be offensive to somebody. So, I mean, I couldn't even, I didn't even think about the nickname. You don't even give it a thought. Mm-hmm. So it, it uh, I, I'm not, if something is truly, if, if something is objectively uh, offensive and pretty much everybody agrees, you know, like, Oh my gosh, we can't have this. Yeah, then fine. But, uh, you know, we're in a mode now where people are, and you know, now we're getting into politics, which is always dangerous. But in my mind, people are looking to be offended and people are offended for other people. And, and I just really don't have any use for people who are constantly offended for other people. I try to eliminate those people from my life. Well, I've got about half of my family, are BG alum and the other half are Toledo alum. So, I mean, they're offended by each other. So, like, <laughs> yeah. I understand it. Yeah, that's, I've gotten wind of the the Toledo BG thing uh, <laughs> in my time at Toledo. You know, it's natural. We're 10, well, I, when I lived in Perrysburg, I was living closer to BG than I was to UT. So, but, you know, being a half hour or so or less apart, yeah, that, that's a fun rivalry. And it's they're always interesting games, too, because you have so many storylines of, uh, I know I've seen a handful where uh, uh, one of the handful of the BG baseball kids, like their dads played at Toledo, and they just kind of ended up at BG and just the familiarity of all of that. And, and it's such a good, fun rivalry that I, I don't think people realize that enough. It doesn't matter what sport it is. You know, everybody goes at it for two hours, three hours, whatever. And then most of those kids either went to high school together or they know somebody. It's a neat thing. Yeah. But since the schools are so close together, yeah, you've got a lot of that crossover. And, and so, you know, a lot of, we all, Toledo people know Bowling Green people, vice versa. You got family. So it's a little bit of a different rivalry than, say, Ohio State, Michigan, where for the most part, you don't know them. The Ohio State fans don't know the Michigan fans and vice versa. Um, but Toledo BG is different. You know, it's, uh, I, I don't mean it in a competitive it's way. It's almost like a high school. Pardon me. It's more personal. 
Yeah, yeah, it's more personal. Like, like the high school rivalry might be, you know, just at a Division One level because, again, we're so close together and there's so much crossover you know, between the two schools that, you know, I think that's a lot more friendly and fun than when you know, with Ohio State, Michigan. It, it, you know, I coached in the state of Michigan for seven years and I got all kinds of Michigan players on our team. So, you know, now I know all kinds of people, you know, just especially in the Detroit metro area. And, uh, it's, uh, it's just a different thing. And I think even for the Michigan people, that Michigan Ohio state thing is not as big of a deal as it is to us Ohio state people. Well, and that's the big thing is we always talk about in sports, you know, I don't know how many people realize that the way they wrote it, Michigan's actual rival is Michigan state. It's easy for them yeah. right now to care or to say they don't care about Ohio state. Cause they haven't beaten them in like 3000 days. <laughs> yeah, true. I mean, and, and, you know, being at spending some time in Michigan, yeah, the Michigan-Michigan State thing is a big deal, but I don't care what anybody says. Michigan wants to beat Ohio State. Michigan fans want to beat Ohio State more than they want to beat Michigan State. Well, There's just no way. Who it. knows if they get the chance this year with how everything is. That might end up being on Halloween if they actually have it. Yeah, yeah I saw that, that they might move it up, but I, I don't know what's going to happen. The rumor is it doesn't have anything to do with the college football season, but Rumor is the NCAA today possibly is going to extend our dead period, they call it in recruiting, uh, meaning that we can't have any in-person contact. We can't go out and watch any girls play, which is the case right now, all the way till the end of the year. So we'll see. But so all the signs so far, just in the last week or two, have been of shutting things down. But, you know, the college football is going to be we, – we might shut down hospitals before we cut down – before we shut down college football. That, that's going to be the last thing. So college football gets shut down. You can figure everything else is going to get shut down. Speaking of getting shut down, you guys sit right around 500. You won two of your last three in mid-March. You're actually in Florida. How does that come about with you're in the middle of a tournament, you were scheduled to play Quinnipiac coming up, and all of a sudden you find out, hey, girls, season's over. Well, actually, it was kind of weird how it happened with us. Um, so we're down there day to day, and the, the first day or so we were down there, we heard that uh, I think Central Connecticut State or you know one of those schools, uh, before they even came down, the school said, nope, you're not traveling. So it's like, oh, boy, there's one school out, and there was another. And then as we got on you know, to like Wednesday or so or Tuesday, there was a little bit more. Then we went and played Wednesday, and – Whatever Wednesday, March, whatever that was. And we played the doubleheader, but we felt like, man, this might be it because we're hearing more and more. And it might have been that day that the Ivy League shut things down. I don't remember for sure. So, but then we went back on Thursday to play again. It was like, man, we're a little bit surprised we're here. And we played uh, uh, Merrimack and, and had that game. Then we had a, like a one-game break before we played Indiana, and it was about 2 o'clock or so. And, and we're just sitting there having lunch, and you know it's kind of like just one of those complexes with four fields, and, and you know it's not like a college stadium. And, and Indiana's over on their side, just warming up or doing whatever. And then we got word that uh, the Big Ten had shut its season down, and we're getting ready to play Indiana. So I'm kind of <laughs> looking over there, and the Indiana coach is a friend of mine, and I'm kind of waiting for her or somebody to come over and say, "Hey, we're not going to be able to play. We're done." But Lo and behold, game time comes along and we play. And they beat, we had a good game. They beat us two to nothing. And at the end of the game, 
right at the end of the game, I mean, before we left the field, um, we all got word that the NCAA had canceled its championships, canceled March Madness, canceled everything, <clears throat> and, and that the Big Ten had shut down. So after the handshake, which, which was our last handshake, after the handshake, I walked over and I said, Shonda, who's their head coach, and their SID was their sports information director, I said, you know, I heard the Big Ten shut down like an hour before our game, so this game's not going to count. <laughs> and they laughed, but unfortunately, I guess it does count. <laughs> but anyway, so we ended up, uh, we ended up, somebody realized we hadn't taken a team picture yet. So we took a team picture right there on the field, and we had grandparents and parents and siblings and dogs. Everybody was on the field kind of lamenting what was clearly the end of our season because even though the Mac hadn't shut things down yet, it was obvious what was coming. So, you know, us and Indiana just over on their side of the field were just kind of, everybody was crying and, you know, it, right there on the field. And then we went to dinner and about an hour, sometime at dinner, we all got the text that the Mac had shut things down. So we were literally on the field when it happened. That's crazy. I actually, uh, high school got shut down basically two days before that on Tuesday night, I was doing a game in, uh, somewhere. And then I had a game at UD on Wednesday night where there were people in the stands. It was a small town. Everybody was there the next night after everything had gotten axed. They, we, we ironically had a game at Bowling Green and there were maybe 250 people that were allowed in there because it was directly parents and I remember thinking, this is the oddest thing until whatever comes next. Yeah. Yeah, I know that there were still various games going on the, where we played. They were still holding games for like Division Two, And because uh, we were finished on Thursday into Friday and I think even Saturday. And yeah, that was weird. It's like, man, the whole country shutting down and there's still games. And yeah, that, that was strange. But then, you know, by the next week, I think pretty much everything was shut down everywhere. How how has that changed for you in terms of? Uh, I know that there's a lot of, you know, the girls have online classes and, and you're not allowed to have certain contact or with your recruiting. How how do you recruit when you can't go watch games? It, it's impossible. Well, we can. Yeah. Well, we're, we're to watch games. Um, a lot of teams are streaming them online. Um, so as much as we can, we're watching games online. And, and uh, yeah, you can do it, but the, since it's so hot out, a lot of the cameras overheat and they go down. The angles that we get are usually horrible. So it's really, really, really difficult. It's better than nothing, but extremely difficult. And, and uh, a lot of the teams have partnered up with the company that, that uh, set up a platform to, to stream softball games. There's even a score box and all that in there and a place to put the lineup. Um, and, and so we do that. And then some just put it on Facebook Live. And so we do what we can, but it's difficult. And then we're not allowed, the, the girls who are going to be seniors this year, we're allowed to email and call and text them. But the, the ones who are younger, we're not allowed to yet. You know, so not only can we not be out there watching, you were like with the seniors to be. I mean, we're pretty much done with that class. So, um, so right now, we all we can do is just watch online. That's about it. And like, and like tweets, that's all we can do. <laughs> so but, I'll just have to see Joe Abraham like this, Salute a Softball like this, 
Oh, he's active yeah. today. He's got nothing else going on. Yeah, and it's better when I'm not active because <laughs> when I'm active, there, there's a thing going on right now in the college softball world. Um, well, first of all, you have the NCAA talking about extending the dead period, which means that we can't um, see any of these girls in person. We can't have them visit. We can't talk to them. We can't even go watch them. And the dead period is normally really limited um, to a couple short times of the year. But they, they instituted the dead period way back in March when all this happened. And then they've kept it going and they keep extending it. Now they're talking about, with the re- recent rise in cases, extending it all the way through the end of the year. And um, so the, the girls, 2022 grads who will be juniors this year, normally we're allowed to start talking to them on September 1st, have them visit, make offers. Well, if they extend the dead period, that takes care of that. So we're not going to be allowed to do that. And then within the the college softball coaching circles, a lot of the coaches have now, just in the last week, had an idea to move our contact date, which is September 1st. We can start to, even if we can't see them in person, we can email them, call them, text them. A lot of the coaches want to move that back to next July 1st for various reasons. And uh, so that's the big thing in, in the college softball recruiting world right now. And our coaches association had a big meeting with all of us D1 coaches a couple of days ago about it. And, and a lot of the coaches are in favor of it for various reasons. I'm opposed to it. But again, I'm almost always in favor of fewer restrictions, <laughs> which puts me in the minority of college coaches. I, Which is amazing by itself, first of all. Um, you've had obviously great success with the girls in the classroom team GPA at 3.89, one of the highest of all the programs at Toledo. How important is that to you that those girls are coming in and they're succeeding? Cause I know right away with a lot of freshmen, maybe the, the acclimation period of, Oh man, like this is a lot more than high school can sort of get to those girls. Yeah. Well, it, it, number one, for the girls themselves, you know, they're, they're not, unless they coach, they're not going to make a living in softball. You know, there are like two professional teams when they play and, and they don't, they don't make any money. So, you know, somebody like Jenny Finch, who was, you know, the best pitcher in the world for a while and, you know, and six foot one and blonde. Yeah. Maybe she can make a living just with endorsements and softball, but generally nobody can make a living playing softball. So, so assuming that's not going to happen, you know, their, their future lies in whatever it is they're studying. Um, so while college softball is fun and, and it's dead serious, you know, they need to be, they need to be focused on their future and what they're studying. So for their sake, yeah, I mean that having good, having our team be excellent students is, is the most important thing, but from just a practical standpoint, yeah, I coached at Hillsdale for seven years, and the average ACT at Hillsdale, I think, is like 30 and a half or 31. So I got used to having that type of uh, student athlete for seven years, and I liked it. Uh, so when I got to Toledo, it's just natural. I mean, I'm not saying every girl that we recruit you know, has a high 20s ACT. That's not the case. But, but generally, that's what I lean to because that's what I'm used to, plus just with the way that me and the rest of our staff teach and coach it, it kind of just gears itself more toward i i guess self-serving to say but a little bit more of a cerebral approach rather than just 
you know, let's go out and do drill, 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 and don't think, rep, rep, rep. You know, we, we don't really coach that way. So we we kind of have to have girls who are willing to go out there and think about things and, you know, that type of thing. Um, so we recruit only only good, only serious students. And when you recruit only serious students, of course the team GPA is going to be higher. You know, I don't. We have study tables and all that type of stuff, but there, there's nothing. I, I can't do any other work for them. And, you know, with, like, chemistry and all that, I don't know well, any of it. You just probably shouldn't. Well, I... Yeah, if it were like a constitutional law class or political science, I could. That'd be about it. That's fascinating to me. Uh, just, I was curious about that, and I there's one last thing I wanted to ask you about because I absolutely love reading it and, and just kind of hearing a story behind it. You got the opportunity to coach the national team, and you got to go coach them in Holland. What was that like? Well, it, it's um, what that is, and you mean a lot of girls in Ohio and, and surrounding areas have done that. It, it um, a, a guy who's been involved in his family in the softball world for decades now. They, they put together way back, I don't know, twenty, thirty years ago, twenty-five years ago, however long it was, a thing you know, just they call it the Cup, and, and they recruit top players uh, you know, from around the country. But since they're from Ohio, it just happens to be more you know, in the Midwest than anything top high school players um, to go over there and play against uh, teams from the Netherlands and France. And the teams that they play against are, are usually filled with adults, you know, like national type teams, <laughs> which is really odd to take, you know, high school age girls over there and play against 25 year olds. But, uh, and so they've been doing that for a lot of years and, you know, they invited me and I did it for a few years. And it's the, the teams that we're taking are not national teams. I mean, like an Olympic type team, yeah, but they are teams of girls who are likely to go on and play in college. And so we go over there. I think I did it three straight years. And it's We're in the winter, you know, so you play indoors. And But the people you meet and then then touring Holland and, and Paris, and I mean, that's a lot of fun. So, you know, I did that for a few years, and then I started coaching college and couldn't do it anymore. Just tell your dad, look, they're kind of paying me to go overseas and coach softball now. Yeah, he had just passed away before I started doing that because he otherwise he would have been like, "Wait, where are you going? <laughs> what are you?" I, I used to have to kind of tell white lies, maybe little fibs to judges when I was coaching. And everybody, any lawyer who coaches travel ball, and I'm sure this is the same in other professions. No, I can't have this hearing, or I can't have this meeting. I can't do this on Friday. I'm going to be on vacation, or. You know, when you're actually out coaching travel ball every Friday. <laughs> you ask for a lot so of continuations. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I can't tell you how many continuations of hearings that I obtained for summer Fridays. Because <laughs> I tried not to let them be scheduled in the first place, but sometimes you can't control it. And it's like, oh, my calendar's full this day. Can we move this to, you know, a Monday? <laughs> that's, I'm happy not to have to do that anymore. That's awesome. I can just imagine the look on the judge's faces. What does he actually have? Maybe I should Google him. You know, that's, you know, a couple of the judge. Yeah, that's right. But back then, you know, that's early 2000s. It might have been hard to find anything on there. But all those judges, they're all golfing on Friday. So nobody wanted anything to happen on Friday to begin with. Nobody, at least back then, nobody in the legal profession was doing much work on Fridays. At least if you didn't have to. <laughs> work smarter, not harder. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, thank you yeah, so much. 
Yeah. No, thank you so much. I, I have enjoyed this. I, uh, like I said, a handful of people had said you should probably get him on, and I, I have enjoyed the look inside the softball program, and I've enjoyed our chat. Well, yeah, so have I. Happy to do it anytime, and you know, thanks to whoever those people were that asked you to bring me on. I'm always happy to do it. That's Joe Abraham, the uh, Toledo softball coach. Danny the Dealmaker, have you ever noticed how Lee Kinsel Chevy Buick GMC is a little like a sports team? How so? Well, you got your Lee Kinsel team starters like all of our salespeople. Yeah? And then you got your talent on the bench ready to back up every one of those starters to ensure that the team wins like our incredible service people. You know, you're right. A customer can come in, select their favorite, and be on their way in no time. Sort of a pick and roll. Now you got it. See us at 650 West Urban Road, online at LeeKinsel.com, and on the phone at 866-LEE-KINSEL. My second guest today, I'm always happy to have on this show, the busiest 25-year-old in sports, bar none. I can list all the jobs he's got going on, but to be honest with you, we don't have three days. John Fanta, how are you? My current, thank you for making me feel older with well, 25. Well, I didn't, I'm doing well. I didn't add how old I was <laughs> when you were born. Then I would feel old. <laughs> that's right. As long as you're feeling better about, about that, that's all all i'm here to do I'm, I'm here to please i'm doing well hope you're doing well hope everybody listening in is doing well uh, you know what we're in some crazy times that doesn't stop sports coverage and it's a joy to do it in college sports and jumping into the baseball waters here this time of year and i'm just hoping that we've got some america's pastime to talk about starting next weekend i can't wait and it does sort of change a little bit. People who don't know, Big East, Fox Sports, now you've picked up yep. a writing gig based on your hometown team in the Cleveland Indians. I did. I, I'm with Indians Baseball Insider.com. If you're an Indian fan, you've come to know this is a great minor league site. It's run by a guy named Tony Lasoria, who does a wonderful job, and Justin Leda as well. And it's nice to be doing some Indians coverage for them. I'm still in Cleveland, plan to be here for the summer, so have never really covered Major League Baseball regularly, albeit on Zoom every day, but that's what we're doing. And, of course, with Fox Sports and the Big East Conference, Fox Sports on the play-by-play sideline reporting side, with the Big East as a play-by-play broadcaster, hopefully it's some fall sports, although the conference announcing shortly before we did this interview that – they are canceling the non-conference portion of their fall sports season. Following in the Big Ten, Pac-12 footsteps, it will just be conference only this fall across the Big East, which is the model that we're seeing. And the hope is, is that they can pull that off, but that is still a big question mark dangling in the air. I think I would take the Big East or the uh, Big Ten rather more seriously with theirs if you didn't have Rutgers still having to go to Iowa. Yes, that's a great point. And I do think that the Big Ten is going to adjust their schedule. So one thing that people are not considering is they're looking at the Big Ten football schedule and they're saying, oh, how the heck is Maryland going to go all the way in the Midwest? Well, I think that you might see a totally shifted schedule. That conference schedule that you might see on your team's website, here's the thing, Mike, it doesn't matter whether they're playing in front of Fans, no fans, I don't think they're going to play in front of fans. With that in mind, you know, they can 
kind of doctor up the schedule that they need to doctor up to make sure they play games if they get to the point of playing games. I think the Big Ten will try to regionalize things as much as possible. Now, does that mean that somebody's going to have to travel to Piscataway to play Rutgers? Yes. Probably about five or six teams are going to have to do that. So it's going to be a unique circumstance, but I do think they're going to try to develop a model that sees the schools that are closest to Rutgers and Maryland play each other. Heck, you might see, you might see a world that Rutgers and Maryland play each other twice. That's just the world that we're in right now in college sports heading into the fall. Well, and what's crazy about that too, to sort of piggyback on it is Columbus and Franklin County have been on the borderline of what the governor declares as zone four or the, the fourth one where you go purple and everything shuts down. That could affect who can go in and out of Columbus and whether the Buckeyes, one, can have anybody come to Columbus or two, whether they can go anywhere. Right. And nobody wants to be the bad guy right now. So with the way that these counties are going and trending in the wrong direction, I think that just the hope right now is that somehow the stats go down in coronavirus. Now, Mark Emmert, the NCAA president, said earlier on Thursday that the fact is the pandemic is not under control and it has to get under control for fall sports to happen. Well, read between the lines. It's mid-July. We see some college football played in late August in what's called week zero, and we see opening weekend as Labor Day weekend. I would go on the record now and state that the idea that we are going to see college football on Labor Day weekend to kick off the season is next to, if not totally, impossible. There's too many things that have to be figured out. But nobody wants to be the bad guy in this. And look, Mike, I want sports to, as much as the next guy, as the guy next to me, as much as you do. Well, maybe not we the guy next our... to you. <laughs> right, that's true. Um, but, you know, the listener out there who might be thinking, oh, he's being negative. Look, this is our career. We need, we need the games. There's no question about it. And we need the stories to tell, which we'll always have stories to tell, but they're that much more fun when you're talking about games and different moments and who comes up clutch. But I just think that it doesn't appear that we've been able to get out of this entanglement, get out of this state of chaos. And it still appears that we've got as many, if not more questions here in mid-July that we had in mid-March. There just hasn't been a lot of progress made. And in the NCAA's report on Thursday, they, they issued an official report. And in that report, they threw quite a bit of criticism at lack of federal guidelines in the process of fighting the virus, which actually had me taken aback. The NCAA is trying to work with the federal government on name, image, and likeness and how that's going to work out in college sports. I thought it was something that they targeted the federal government when they put out a report saying that they're simply not ready to have fall sports if you ask them today. Wow. Uh, Yeah, you wouldn't think that you'd maybe take a swipe at the people you need to help you. Doesn't seem like a smart career move. No, but it's a reflection of where we're at is the whole thing of people are on Twitter, people are complaining that the NCAA is not giving a whole lot of guidelines right now. 
The fact is, Mike, the NCAA can't govern everybody in a uniform fashion with a pandemic. And coronavirus is not going to listen to the NCAA. That, that's, that's just the fact of the matter. So it's a very difficult thing to, to find uniformity in because that's the key to having college sports, right? But that's why conferences are going to conference-only schedules this fall because perhaps if we get to the point where the pandemic's under more control, those conferences can adjust their schedules accordingly and try to pull off some football and some soccer, volleyball, and so on. That, uh, yeah, that's going to be an interesting one. But if you look a little further down the scope and you've seen or heard John Fanta, trust me, if you've turned something on, you probably have and not even realized that he's got uh, quite a few terrific conversations I've heard lately. Chris Beer, the coach of Texas Tech, was just on your podcast with Kim Adams called Full Court Press. You had Tom Izzo. And I love the conversations with Patrick Ewing. Uh, one, because he deals with a lot of things going on in the world right now with a lot of uh, the issues that are kind of hot-button issues and just three completely different but terrific interviews. I appreciate you saying that. Patrick Ewing and I have been able to, to create a great relationship with him being the head coach at Georgetown. He's about to enter his fourth season, and it's been cool to see Ahoya Great, an NBA legend, one of the best players of all time, come back to his alma mater. Now, the results have not shown yet. It's been tough at Georgetown. You know, if you identify with college basketball, you think about John Thompson, you think about Allen Iverson, and obviously Ewing as a player, Dikembe Mutombo, those were better days for Georgetown basketball. That said, Ewing... There's no question he can coach, Mike. Now it's just about keeping some roster retainment and, and keeping some of those mainstay players together to form a, a foundation. But what a guy. I think he's taken a great leadership role with the recent social injustice issues in our world. And he had coronavirus and talked about his experience with the pandemic and gave the advice to everybody now three weeks ago. The advice that seemingly is in the news every day right now, and that is to mask up. And I just think the thing about Patrick Ewing is he might be an NBA great, but when he gets on a microphone and talks, he's a regular guy. He's a guy who came from Jamaica to the United States to create a better pathway, him and his family. And I think right now he's he's dealing with some of the things that he dealt with back in the 80s of being racially profiled. And between that and the pandemic, what he's had to battle with that, I, I got the sense from Patrick that he's thinking to himself, I came to America to pave a better life for myself. You know, where is that America when I first came into this country? And I think that I, I won't politicize it. I'm not into that. What I will say is, though, it's something that I think we all can agree on. We just all need to be better to each other. And that's what I took away from Patrick Ewing is, we can always be better to one another. And during these times, there's no time like the present to do that. That's pretty much what I've been telling everyone. I, I used that actually as uh, the end of a couple of these podcasts when I just ran out of words to try to describe things. But it, it is, it, again, and again, we're not going down this road, but it is a very different world right now. And, and a lot of people kind of trying to make the best of it. That's why 
I'm always a big fan of trying to point out things that I think are interesting or help people learn or what have you. And if you need to laugh, the Chris Beard segment on hot dogs, which was that just was that just because it was taped after the hot dog eating contest that, that came up? No, no, we taped earlier this week and Chris went off on a tangent talking about how much he loves hot dogs, but particularly hot dogs in tin foil. He said you gotta have the foil for that hot dog to be special. He said, Look, it's one thing to just have the regular dog. He goes, But if you've got that Reynolds foil on it and he said at a football game, I love the dog at a football game. That was totally random. But the beauty of what we do, we sometimes find out things about guys we never knew that we'd be talking about with them. I did not have hot dogs on the interview agenda. Right, for a basketball coach. Yeah, that's probably not. That, that's funny, though, because it's exactly what we were talking about before we went on of you have to sort of try to frame people and sports in a different light now with not really having anything. And I, I've been lucky enough to be able to do baseball for the last month, but it, too, has been so totally different. I've had to come up with different ways to tell stories because even if you know you want to say, oh, this kid was a, a terrific hitter, well, you have to go back to 2019 in the spring to tell that story. Well, that kid might not be the same as he is now. So how do I weave that into a narrative and try to make it interesting enough for you to listen to it? It's a really great point. I think it's something that if whatever content form you're in, if you call games, if you're an interviewer, if you're a writer, you have to think about the issues going on in our world and how they apply to athletes and coaches that we cover. It's a very big topic right now, one that I know we're constantly looking at. But when these social injustice issues were happening, the, the first thing I was thinking of is, well, what are players thinking about this? Starting to contact those players, starting to contact those coaches. With the pandemic, you know, what What are our athletes doing at home that they never thought they would be doing? Are they picking up hobbies? We've talked with, I've talked with a couple student-athletes who have taken up cooking, who have taken up drum playing, <laughs> you name it, you know, because right now what we see them as, those heroes on the field, um, that, that's not there right now. That's, that's just not there. I've, I've talked with some student-athletes who have gone on to – to be in the healthcare world. And so those have been some interesting stories, but yeah, you, you have to reach into your bag of tricks and there's really not a trick to find. You've kind of got to create one. Well, and especially with Aaron Kraft played his last game in the TBT tournament. And unfortunately for them, they lost in the early round, but he talked about, you know, he's, he's young in terms of basketball. He could have many years ahead, but he's going to retire, spend time with his new family and, go study to be a doctor because he wanted to help make the world a better place. That's a great story. One of many. Uh, I think about the TBT and what an event that was. Credit to uh, John Mugar and, and just their whole group that they have, Rob Kennedy and so on, and ESPN for bringing it to national TV and giving us basketball. They did a wonderful job down in Columbus of showing what an event looks like during these crazy times. They've got a lot to be proud of, and that's a great story in and of itself. How about Golden Eagles TBT, the Marquette alumni, taking a thrilling victory over Sideline Cancer, two teams that had great stories, Sideline Cancer, the 22 seed, and 
playing for such an incredible cause. And Golden Eagles, they've come so close to the championship. And then Travis Steiner, nearly 40 year old, 40 years old, he's the one who comes up as the hero with a three-point shot. He played at Marquette. He was on the Marquette bench as an assistant coach. He had a look in the NBA. I thought it was pretty cool that he was the one who delivered the shot because he's given so much to Marquette basketball. Everybody knows Dwayne Wade and that Final Four team back in the early 2000s. Well, Diener was on that team, and he had his moment of glory to secure a million-dollar prize for that team earlier this week. It was great to get a taste of some hoops. It's also great because for couple hours at a time you can just sort of look at sports through a different lens and say this is great i hope that we get this back one day absolutely <laughs> what is this basketball right. thing that we're looking at it's you a know different bubble. It was a different bubble and i'm interested to see what bubble life looks like with the nba here coming back and and revamping and i will say this right now on your show there's no chance I'm putting an asterisk next to whoever comes out with the NBA title. When every team in the league has to deal with the same circumstances, and now you've got to come back. If anything, it's harder to come back after a long layoff, a layoff that could have seen you sitting on your couch, watching Netflix, you know, eating ice cream, spending more time with family. It's hard to come back from that and turn away from all that, from your family time. And now you're basically locked down in Florida and you're playing the game you love, but these circumstances are so different. So if anything, it's, it's tougher. And I'm fascinated to see how that shakes out here. Credit again to this tournament for giving us some sports because, boy, did we need it. Well, I hear LeBron's got a chip on his shoulder because he doesn't have his personal masseuse or his personal chef. <laughs> That's what Twitter he's says. He's living normally. Yeah, he's one of, he's one of the, uh, the normal citizens. He's I one mean, of the guys. One of the He's one of the common folk, if you will. <laughs> Mr. James is, is stepping back into the he's, – he's walking into Denny. Most common folk I know that. don't have a billion dollars. I just want to point that out. I, I know. I'm, I'm trying to uh, – <laughs> yeah, I guess I, don't give, I'm trying don't give to give the Lakers LeBron any more down. love. We're not doing that. Right, right. The crown is still on the king. I'll take the Until field, otherwise seen. I'm just saying he's walking into a Denny's when he could walk into Outback, even though he, he probably wouldn't walk into either of those, but – you, you, you get my drift. He'd probably walk in and buy it. It's probably how that would go. That's exactly what he would do. Investment. That would be that would be a good investment. Hey, I'm sad. They keep closing all the Denny's in Cleveland every time I go up there. Really? I um. The one on Middleburg well, Heights. Well, the one closed. by the one by oh really? Was it the one by West One Fiftieth? I think not it's not West One Fiftieth. The one by the highway is now like a uh, uh, Five Guys. I think. Oh man! I yeah. think North Olmstead still has one open on Lorraine. Well, I got Head two of them on the way to Cleveland, so maybe I'll just hit those. There you go. Um, I want to ask you, obviously, since we're both big Indians fans, you've done the daily Zoom. You get to sit in the chair for a couple of hours. Uh, takeaways from these inter squad scrimmages. I've noticed. How about you, Chang? Incredible story. You're talking about an infielder who is at summer camp as a clear backup because when you've got the Indians infield of Jose Ramirez, Francisco Lindor, Cesar Hernandez, who comes over from the Phillies and played with Carlos Santana, Carlos back at first base, there's not a whole lot of room for playing time. But if there's a guy who has proved himself, nobody's done it more than you, Chang. 
this infielder in his 20s, could be the replacement for Francisco Lindor. He's hitting the, the cover off the ball, and I'm not comparing him to Lindor. I'm just saying he could be the replacement down the road in what seems like it could be the inevitable. But, Mike, he's homered off Mike Clevenger, Shane Bieber, Carlos Carrasco. I mean, this kid is ripping the cover off the ball. And Terry Francona said it last night. I actually asked him in the press conference. I said, is the team shot printing the Chang jerseys? <laughs> that, that's how I, it was the second question of the presser, which was a bit early to be asking a funnier question, but who cares? And uh, he, he, <laughs> He's either going to get said, it or he's know, not. He, exactly. He said, look, I'm going to leave that to the marketing department, but it's the understatement of the season today. Yu Chang is just hitting the ball at an incredible level. Mike, he may get one of those roster spots. It might be 28 or 29, but he's hitting the baseball too well to not get his chance. The, the problem is, is that he's not an outfielder. If he were an outfielder, I would say, yeah, he's on the opening day roster, but he's not. The Indians actually have several question marks in their out, outfield right now for a variety of reasons. Shank could end up on that roster, but the, the best of the news is this. Even if he's not, he'll still be an option in Lake County. And you always, Terry Francona said, you have to find the positives in any situation. He said, if we don't have a season restart, we don't find this out about you, Chang. So they consider this a, a huge win in that they've got something with Mr. Chang here and the way that he's hitting the baseball. Also, you talk about the outfield with Bradley Zimmer yeah. coming back and looking like he's got the last couple of seasons sort of put away, adjust his swing and looks a lot better from what I hear. He's playing with a chip on his shoulder. And on Wednesday night, he talked with the media after the game, and he said, you know, I know I wasn't looked at as an option in this outfield. And the fact is he was not because he's had so many injuries. The shoulder injury in 2018, he had to miss all 2019 due to a variety of setbacks that included a strain that the coaching staff just, it kind of put off and it ended up being more serious than we all thought. And so, Bradley Zimmer, up to 27 years old now, is thought of as, is he a guy that can be relied upon? And all of a sudden, in summer camp, he's got three home runs in two games. He hit three for three on Wednesday. And in an outfield right now where Delino DeShield is not going to be at 100% by opening day, I actually want to see if Tito gives us an update on Delino on, on Thursday evening in his media session. You've got Jordan Luplo dealing with back issues. He was thought to be that fourth man in the outfield that could play right or left and hit, hit off lefties. Greg Allen or Bradley Zimmer, I'm going to take Bradley Zimmer because of the potential and because of what we're seeing in terms of power and him being able to go the other way. So Bradley Zimmer is the surprise all of a sudden and a dark horse candidate in the Indians outfield. I think their opening day lineup will have Reyes in left, Oscar Mercado in center, and Tyler Naquin in right. Naquin's got a great story. But Bradley Zimmer could be that next guy in line and could be rotating with Oscar Mercado in center if it came to that. Obviously covering the team, uh, you read a lot, hear a lot from them in these Zoom calls and the like. Um, There's two stories out there I want to ask you about. One is being in Cleveland, the likelihood – of the survey that the Indians just sent out to season ticket holders about would you come to a game if we let you, 
Uh, and two, I have to ask you where you feel they're at with the possible name change. Okay. Well, let's deal with the first one first with the fans. I think that's highly unlikely. And I think between us and everybody listening to the show, um, that that is a marketing and ticketing department's way of just gauging their fan interest, staying engaged with their fans. It's a big challenge right now for, for these marketing folks at respective organizations. They don't know how to stay in touch with their fans because you can't have from them every 12 hours. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's, that's one strategy is let's just, let's just uh, clog their inbox and see if they're engaged. You know, they're struggling with how they do it successfully because Mike, have you opened every one of those emails uh, and no. looked at them thoroughly I'll or be, no? I'll exactly. So I read the headline and then I say, I already knew that I read Twitter. Exactly. And so that's the big thing is right now they're having trouble keeping the fans engaged. So I think, that's kind of a last resort type of thing. If they play postseason baseball and could put it on the table, the MLB, hey, we could have 5,000 fans. We could have 15,000 fans. The fact is Cleveland's in no place to have a large gathering right now. You're in a level three situation. It could be in a level four in Cuyahoga County. In fact, that may be inevitable. And think about this. When you're playing October baseball, you're hitting flu season. I just don't think it's likely. I think that was a way to engage with fans. I think it was nothing more than that. I just don't think there's much of a shot. As far as the name change goes, the Cleveland Indians are keeping their name in 2020. And I don't know when that name change is going to come. I think it's going to be a complex process. I think it's it's easier said than actually done because of trademarking issues and because of the amount that has to be done and spent financially on a rebrand. Now that doesn't trump the fact that in our current times in our society, it's pro- it's time for a change. It's time for a change. And Terry Francona has brought that up, but I don't think they're anywhere close to doing what the Redskins did and retiring their team name. The Cleveland Indians will be playing in 2020 and that's what they will be known as. I think this is going to take some time. You've got a ton of things going on. How do folks keep up with all the work of, again, the busiest 25-year-old that I know? The best way to do it is to go on Twitter. Follow me at John, J-O-H-N underscore Fanta. F is in Frank, A-N-T-A. You can head to IndiansBaseballInsiders.com. It is a subscription website, but don't worry. My articles are all free. Um, you can check them out. There's video. There's Words, of course. We write stories and features on the <laughs> draw, tribe, and we'll, draw pictures? we'll have those. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, uh, that's I, I haven't gotten in, I'm a terrible, no, no, I'm a terrible drawer. You do not want to see my pictures. <laughs> I mean, to this day, I couldn't even draw a human. I, I, have no, I have no drawing skills at all. I'm awful at Pictionary or any of that crap. Man, uh, what kind of art pretty- classes do they have at St. Ignatius? Come on now. <laughs> uh, you can also go to BigEast.com, find some of my stuff there. Uh, we keep up with the content. A couple video pieces a week. And you can listen to Full Court Press with Fanta and Adam. I do a weekly podcast with Kim Adams. It's on college basketball. We've marked it with some college sports with the current times. But if you're a college basketball or basketball junkie, recent guests include Bill Raftery. Dan Gabbett, Tom Izzo, Chris Beard, Mick Cronin, Brad Underwood. We've had Chris Mack in the past. 
the coach down at Louisville. So if you have a guest suggestion, just message me at John underscore Fanta. And my email is jfanta25107 at gmail.com. Feel free to drop me a line and let me know uh, what you're looking at or let me know if you'd like a story idea with the Indians or whatever the content may be. I apologize because I forget which one of the thousand places I saw this, but where was the interview? I want people to see it because I enjoyed it uh, with Andre from the Indians. So the interview with Andre Knott is on my YouTube page, uh, the John Fanta YouTube page. If you search my name on YouTube, you'll see it. It's also posted on my Twitter. I actually, I think on Monday, I'm going to post the, the clip itself of our conversation about Frankie Lindor and really just zoning in on Frankie and, and what's going on with him. So we'll hit on that. And uh, we might have some opening week, another opening week interview like that. Maybe not with Andre, but with somebody else that covers the tribe. I got a couple things up my sleeve. I got to see uh, if if we can get the right person on to, to do just that. So a lot of things in the cooker, but you can see it on my YouTube page, IndiansBaseballInsider.com as well. Take a deep breath before you go on to the next thing. If you, if you have time to do that, of course. Well, I'm out on a walk right now, so that's encouraging, right? Right, right. I uh, I can't thank you enough. I, I love when you come on. I wanted to kind of expand this show, talk about Indians, talk about basketball, about the world. And I thought there's probably no better person to get that ideology from than John Fanta. Well, it's always an honor to join you. And you believed in me. Um before others did, and I have always appreciated that. One of my first broadcast partners, Mike Kern. Mike, thank you so much for the time. Anytime. I was there before the fake Fanta accounts. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you're the one behind that. I neither confirm nor deny that. <laughs> thank you again. Thank you, Mike. That's John Fanta. Back to wrap the show up after this. Are you in Spencerville and looking for a place to eat before the Bearcats play? Well then, head to my place, 128 North Broadway, for deep-fried mushrooms, chili cheese fries, the best pie around, and soup of the day. If you're in a hurry and just want to order some to go, you can give Doug and his staff a call at 419-647-4062, and they'll have it ready for you. My Place Restaurant at 128 North Broadway in Spencerville, a proud supporter of Bearcat Athletics. And if you haven't had... The breakfast at my place, I recommend it. Get the potatoes. I get eggs and bacon and ham, but it's uh, it's an absolutely great deal. I think it was like 7 bucks. You'll be full. I don't think I ate the rest of the day. But uh, big thanks to Doug and my place for always being a supporter of what I'm doing and what we're trying to do. Anything Spencerville coverage related and not a lot going on right now. Uh, baseball team is done for the uh, summer. Football team up in the air. Soccer team up in the air. Don't know, again, what that means. You can find out on a Twitter, I'm sure. But that's what I have for the show this week. I can't say thank you enough to two terrific guys. This is the J episode of Around the Hearn. Joe Abraham, the University of Toledo, and John Fanta from Fox Sports. The uh, Cleveland Indians coverage that he's got going on. I implore you to follow that young man on Twitter, at John underscore Fanta. Does a terrific job, as always. Got great content. You never know who's going to show up on those podcasts as well. And uh, big thanks to both of them for being a part of the show. Hopefully, some more big things in the works coming up. Never know what the world's going to look like. Be good to one another. 
Have a great night and even better tomorrow. Later, bye. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of Around the Hearn. Come back next week for more local stories from the NWO. But until then, be sure to follow us on Twitter at Michael Hearn PBP for more great area content.